Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Today's guest is Andrew Goldberg, co-host of the Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze Oh My podcast, one of the top stream sports card podcasts in the country. Andrew and his co-host Cage started the podcast as a hobby in 2020, but with a plan to record an episode every day, their following has built up over time. Andrew opens up about his journey, his mentality, and living a life free of imposter syndrome. I hope you enjoy my chat with Andrew. All right, so we're so happy here today to have uh, Andrew Goldberg. He's the uh, co-host for the Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze My podcast, one of the biggest trading cards podcasts in the country. Andrew, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Andrew, I'm, I'm a listener, you know, a regular listener to the podcast. It's almost become, uh, and I, I've sent you a couple messages, you know, it's become a highlight of my day. And here I am, I find myself, you know, months later kind of running my own podcast. I'm just curious, man about your journey, right? I want to talk to you about your journey, becoming the, the co-host with Cage, kind of what you were doing before that. Also, just diving deep into your experiences, you know, the last uh, two years, I imagine that your life has changed a bit, right? With with this new kind of um, career that you've thrown yourself into. My life has changed a lot. I mean, everyone's life has changed a lot since COVID, but uh, I, I've been very, very blessed. Saying that, my story is just like every single other entrepreneur. So many false starts, so many failures, you know, having the intuition to try to do this thing on my own, leaving Wall Street and all that stuff and, you know, having family friends kind of scoff at you and say, like, you know, what is he doing? He's got no plan. And having to navigate that period of my life, which was like kind of my early to mid 20s to literally, <laughs> man, just thinking back about it, it's, it's so funny how things work out. And I, I got to give a shout out to my family because they believed in me even when things weren't going great as most entrepreneurs on the other end of this, they know like it's not all glitz and glam when you get into it. It's a lot of failure. It's a lot of sleepless nights. It's a lot of like, am I even doing the right thing? Like, am I crazy? But yeah, the last two years have been really, really awesome. And I, I feel very lucky to do what I get to do. I basically talk about sports, which I love. And I played sports my whole life. I talk about sports cards, which I collected my whole life. And I get to make money doing it. So when I was 22, 23 and got into business for myself, I could have never imagined that I would be doing this for money and for a living, but I feel very fortunate to do it. And I don't take that, uh, I don't take that lightly, especially on the bad days, you know, because when you're an entrepreneur, you're lonely. Uh, there's no one really you could talk to about the problems, but I always now remind myself of how this is the life I chose. This is the path I chose. And I'm really fortunate to get to do what I do. Yeah. You know, what you just said, you know, you allude to a lot of that in the podcast, you know, you talk a little bit about, you know, your past and where you came from, the way I view you. And maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not viewing you the right way. And I mean this in the best way, right? Like you're fighting for the little guy, right? You say that all the time, you know, in, in the, in the sports, uh, uh, hobby in the trading card industry, always looking out, you know, and calling out certain, you know, maybe, uh, corporations or whatever that you feel maybe could do more. And, and, you know, there's all, there's an honesty to that. Right. And there's a, there's a part, a part of that, that your, your show wouldn't be the same without that. Um, and, and I just say that because, what you talk about that journey is really important to you, right? And I kind of want to delve into that, into that background, how you started. You mentioned a lot, of, a lot of times, like, did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? 
Yes and no. Like looking back, like I love the Steve Jobs speech. I, I go back to that maybe once a year. It was his commencement speech at uh, Stanford. And he's like, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So like, yeah, like kind of revisionist history. I will say I do did always want to be an entrepreneur. Like even I was a little kid, I would like buy my old buddy's cleats off of them when we played soccer. I would send them back to Nike and they would give me what's called manufacturer's defect gift certificates and I would sell them. So like even from those days, like looking back, I'm like, I was always very entrepreneurial, but I also played soccer at a competitive level. So that from like maybe 15, 16 to 22, that was my life. I didn't even think about entrepreneurship or anything else. And then I kind of was just like going to go the standard route of Wall Street uh, and then Bay Area and all that stuff. But like looking back, yes, but there was definitely times where I had like blinders on and I was just like, I'm going to go the standard way. And I don't know what pulled me out of that. I just thought anytime I was in an office, I couldn't breathe. I, I felt like I wasn't myself. I couldn't sustain. I couldn't be there. It, it was resistance. Honestly, I say that all the time to my buddy here. Like it just didn't feel right. Anytime I worked for someone else, uh, I couldn't be myself. Yeah, I hear you. My first job out of, out of graduate school uh, was a sales job, and I was actually working in the sports industry. And uh, I thought I had, I had it made, man. I, I was working for uh, the New Orleans Hornets, right, selling season tickets. And, but every day, man, I just felt suffocated, and I couldn't explain it. I couldn't explain it. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. That's a huge point that you brought up. And uh, even the people out there that are, feel that they want to be entrepreneurs or do something for themselves, my job after, was in sales as well. And different type of sales. But I think that was the best thing I could have done from 20 to 25 was to learn how to persuade, learn how to sell, right? Like how many cold calls did you have to do when you were on the Hornets? And like how many people are scared of being on the phone? And all of that helps me now. So like if you kind of think about what, what is a podcast, right? It's, it's kind of like a sales pitch. It's persuasive. It's storytelling. It's uh, being able to captivate an audience, being how to speak with the right tone. So I remember I watched so many sales training videos, and I'm sure you have too. So that's actually one of the best things that's ever happened to me was to learn how to sell, right? You don't learn that in college. You only learn that on the job. I do have to confirm that. The fear I had picking up that phone the first day of my job and just cold calling or, you know, what we call warm leads sometimes. If you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky, was was real, man. Like, I, And I, that was not my personality at all. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys to just come in and, and try to persuade you to buy any product or anything like that. But the skills and really just kind of the understanding that I could overcome my own fear and actually like become decent at it. I, by the end of it, I, by, by the time I left, uh, I was there for six months. By the time I left, I, I thought I had, I'd earned a pretty decent commission. I was happy to kind of start something else, but it gave me a confidence. It's everything. Cause you remember like the first days on the job, like the first calls and they, you know what they do that they make it even worse. Everyone's sitting in the room listening to your first calls. Right. Uh, <laughs> and you're like, this is just making it so much worse. You just want to get off the phone, right? You're, you don't want to sell. You're like, how do I get, how do I finish this conversation as quick as possible? So like learning how to overcome that inner fear, believe in your product and get someone on the other end to say yes. Huge, man. It was huge. It, it changed my life. So, and it sounds like it changed yours too. Absolutely. It, it really helped me out in my next thing. I mean, next thing I did, you know, I took a nonprofit job, but even then, you know, I found myself that I was selling just in a different way. And so I took those skills there. Let's talk about your kind of formative years, right? Your twenties, you're kind of, it seems like there, it, it, and it's commonplace. Like you're kind of finding where to go uh, and you, but you're, you're picking up on different things, right? You're learning different things, even maybe when things weren't so easy. Is that, is that right? A hundred percent, man. Like looking back, I could probably articulate it better. 
when my first identity of being a professional athlete died, so I played college soccer at Drexel. It was D1. It was a good level, but it wasn't a professional level. And my career ended. It was a career that was going to end regardless, but it ended a little bit soon and it wasn't on my terms. I tore my ACL in a preseason game of my senior year and it was like, all right, you're kind of done now, right? Like I wasn't going to recover. I didn't have the right mindset to recover in time for my red shirt year and I didn't feel like I could. And now my identity was shattered. It was like, I was always going to be the soccer player, right? And now I had to pick myself up and rebuild. Like, who is Andrew Goldberg? You know, is he a Wall Street banker? Is he a lawyer? Is he going to go back and get his MBA? What's my path? It's challenging because when you have like everything laid out for you, you're like, okay, I know what the next step is. But when it all falls apart, you're like, I don't even know what the next right move is. And there was a lot of failure that came with that, right? Because I'm also someone who wants to live life on my own terms, but I didn't have any of the skills to do that. So I had to read. I had to learn. I had to acquire skills, sometimes through reading books and watching videos, but also sometimes just by failing, trying and failing, right? I moved to the Bay Area right after college. It just felt right. I got a job at BlackRock. I left that job in literally three months because it was hell. And I went to work in sales and I worked for a company called Jumio where we did ID verification. Like Coinbase was one of our clients, for example. We helped them verify their customers. And I learned how to sell. I learned how to persuade. I understood how companies work. I watched the startup because there was 10 of us when I started and 50, 60 people when I left. That was a good experience, man. It taught me a lot. And then I was just like, now I got to do it on my own. And that's when it got even harder, man. I, I joined my, my buddy from the soccer team. We started building mobile apps and websites. And that was business on our own, right? Like we had to make money for ourselves to pay rent. And it was a client service business. And if any of you guys out there have ever been in client services, you kind of know it's one of the hardest businesses out there because you're kind of working for the client. They're never happy. They always think they're paying you too much and they very rarely pay on time. So here I am, this 25, 26 year old kid who's trying to make it and just running into you know roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And what I decided to do, and I actually endorse this more for people, was to take a step back and travel. So I went to Bali for a year and just like try to figure out what, you know, what, 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 I was, what was I going to do next? And I worked on my habits, you know, like journaling, uh, meditation, yoga, eating right, exercising every day, like just getting back to the fundamentals. And I, I came back and I was really blessed. I was listening to Gary Vee a lot in 2014, 15, 16, 17. And when I got back from Bali, I was like, I'm going to move to New York. Moved to New York, started playing uh, basketball. Uh, there was this thing I found on Instagram. It was 6 a.m. hoops, right there, or 5 a.m. hoops. And it was just a bunch of buddies that got together uh, that played basketball 5 a.m. before work. And I was like, yo, you mind if I run with you guys? And they said, it's cool. And a lot of the guys worked for Gary. And uh, one of the, you know, maybe first 10 times I was there, Gary showed up. We were same size. I'm 5'10". I think he's right around there. And we were guarding each other. And it was cool, like just to kind of like meet your idol, you know, meet someone that you really look up to that helped you a lot. Believe it or not, like a month later, he was launching his Empathy Wine brand. And I made some money buying and flipping stuff. He said, if you buy my Empathy Wine, I'll give you a call. I bought, uh, I think it was Club Empathy, 800 bucks. I didn't have a lot of money then, right? I was just out of Bali. I didn't have a job. I was flipping stuff. 
5,000 in the bank, probably even less. I'm just exaggerating the flex now. Uh, <laughs> living in New York too, right? And uh, I bought the wine. One hour goes by, doesn't call. Two hours goes by, doesn't call. Three hours, it's like midnight. He calls and I'm like, yo, gee, I was really excited and nervous. I mean, I was 27, 28 at this point. And he's like, yo, appreciate you buying the wine. He's like, what are you going to do with the wine? I said, I actually don't drink, but uh, I'm going to give it out to my family and friends, like bring a wine, a bottle of wine to them uh, at events. He's like, all right, uh, what can I do for you? And I, I, I gave him a sales pitch, right? If you kind of go back, because I learned how to sell, I was able to sell him here. And I said, Gary, big fan, learned a lot from you. I've always wanted to be in your ecosystem. And this is actually recorded on my podcast. If you guys want to ever go back and listen, my podcast is called No Overnight Success. I said, I've always wanted to be in your ecosystem. And he said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm just a born and bred salesperson. And he said, that's funny. We were just talking right before this call about how we need a sales guy for Empathy Wines. And right there, I got the job. Just like that, huh? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you had your, you had your moment, you got your interview, right? The, the opportunity was buy a bottle of wine and then you had your opportunity and you had like, I don't know, a few minutes maybe to sell yourself. At most. And you guys know Gary talks super fast. So like in those one, two, three hours after I bought the wine, I was like mapping out what am I going to say? You know what I mean? Cause I was like, this isn't going to be an easy sales pitch. The guy talks lightning fast and he's boom, boom, boom. Right. <laughs> so and you said he called you at midnight or something. Yeah. Midnight because you, you know how he does this. Like he goes live when he has new projects. So you started going live at like eight 9 PM people that know me, they know I'm a early, early to rise, early to bed. So I'm like 9 PM. I'm out like a light. And, uh, yeah, it was like nine 30, 10 30, 11 30. He still has a call. I'm not going to go to sleep. You know what I mean? I'm not going to miss the call. Like this is my one shot in life, right? I, I, I've kind of been a mess up my whole life in parentheses, cause not really a mess up, but like relative to the standards and expectations of an immigrant family. And he calls and I was just like, Oh, and he said, come by the office next week. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get it done. Awesome, man. So what was that like working for, for Gary Vee? I mean, how much more did you learn from there? Learned everything that I do now from there. It's uh, one of those experiences that's going to live in my mind for a long time. And remember that Steve Jobs speech I was just telling you about? So wait for this. So another lesson in that speech was, remember Steve Jobs got fired by the company started? Yep. So he said, sometimes life's going to hit you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. So believe it or not, man, I got fired by Gary six months later. Okay. <laughs> so you want me to catch you up? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this is back to the point though. Like I'm a bad employee. I've gotten fired everywhere I've worked and it's not because of performance. It's uh, because I think I undermine the master from reading that Robert Greene book. If, the, if anyone out there has read it, like 50 laws of power or something like that. I'm someone that's a free spirit. Like I need, I need my freedom. I need to come and go as I need. I'm going to work seven days a week. I came in in the weekends every single week and work. But this is a sales job. And you know sales. I like to be judged on my performance, not if I'm in the office from 9 to 5 p.m. Right? But he is a company of a 1,000 people where showing face is equally as important as the performance. And he talks about this, right? He talks about how culture is super important and he, he, he needs people to, you know, be as a part of the team and you can't have any... He talks about this on his content, right? And keep in mind... He runs a creative agency where he has artists, designers, and stuff like that. He doesn't have a sales agency. And Horatio, do you remember being in a sales organization? Yeah, of course. It's competitive. It's like we talk a lot of 
shit, I don't know if you could curse on it. We talk smack. We we come after each other. It's competitive, right? That's that's part of it. You know, the, the uh, anxiety-inducing sometimes where, man, you're fighting over a sale. And that's that's it because that, your paycheck depends on it. I like that. So that's me. That's my athlete in me. I love it. I enjoy it. I like competition. I don't shy away from it. It's the immigrant mentality. But if you're part of a company with a thousand people, I was on Team Gary V, and you're kind of like this one nail that sticks out. What is it? The nail that sticks out gets hammered, gets hit. Yeah. I was the nail that stuck out. I was a sales guy. I would do what I want on my own time. I would hit my numbers, but I would, you know, be cocky, arrogant, like yo, like not not like in a bad way, but I would I would banter and talk talk that talk, and I just didn't fit in. I didn't fit in and I never felt like I fit in. I felt like I had imposter syndrome. If you guys out there have ever had that, I just didn't feel like I fit in. And even though, you know, I made, I think a hundred thousand in uh, sales in six months, it just never felt right. But what was cool towards the end of that, I always asked to do more for whatever reason. And it probably hurt me, but I, one of his employees left and that's what employee was the one that would manage his podcast, like edit it, produce it, all that stuff. So I said, yo, I'll do it. I mean, I'm doing sales, but maybe I could handle this. And I learned how to edit a podcast, upload it to Anchor, you know, timestamps, all that stuff that goes into running a podcast. So I ran the Gary V experience for like two, three months and I was terrible at it. I, I made so many mistakes. I didn't know what I was doing. But now fast forward, you know, whatever it was, and I'll catch you up on the whole firing in a second if you want. I learned all the skills of how to run the Gary V podcast, how to make it compelling, how to have Instagram clips and all that stuff from that two month experience because his team taught me so much. And dude, his team is amazing, man. They work a million miles a minute. Like, there's so much to do to keep up with Gary, but they're so willing to help you because here I am a sales guy learning how to edit a podcast. People have to teach me Adobe Premiere and Canva and how to edit and all that stuff. And they were, they helped me so much, man. Even when I made mistakes, they still had my back. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, so it seems like you were, you know, you were thriving and I know, I know what you mean. I mean, you, you referenced, you know, the imposter syndrome, you never felt quite like yourself there, but on the flip side, you were learning a lot, you were being successful and you kind of, and you dipped your toes into this podcast, right? And you're learning new skills. So do catch me up on the firing. So Gary didn't fire me, his team fired me. And there was never a reason. I just think I never fit in and they saw that too. And like, it's kind of like the blessing that you're given that tastes like vinegar, but it was actually honey type of thing. I made a lot of mistakes with like editing the podcast. I left parts in that like towards the end you were supposed to cut out, you know, it was bad audio quality and I left it in like little things like that. I would just make tons of little micro mistakes. And I think I was too aggressive for the culture they had, which came off as brash. And I think that was the final straw. So it was like, this guy can't do the, that job really well. And he's a little bit brash. Gotcha. You know, it, it's funny. Do you feel like, not just on the job, but did the did the the firing help you? Was that ultimately like you? I know you talk about like how you know it's a blessing in disguise. Do you feel like um, you you learned something from that firing, or did you feel like it validated you in some ways? I learned so much. So when, when is this coming out? Cool, cool, cool. So today was I think it's January twenty seventh. Yesterday was um, was January twenty sixth, uh, and it was Kobe. Kobe. Kobe is my like my first hero. Uh, other than my family, not just my dad, my, my, my dad, my grandpa, my, gra- my grandparents. But like Kobe was someone that I was like, dude, uh, I love this guy. Well, this one thing Kobe said was he played in the summer league and he was like 11 years old and he didn't score any points. And at the end of that, his parents put their arms around him and said, you know, we're going to love you no matter if you score zero or 60. And I came home from getting fired that same day. I was really embarrassed. You know what I mean? 
here's your dream job. And then you got fired from it. Like, and you have to go tell your family and came home. I was so sad. I was crying. And my parents, my dad, my mom, my sister put their hands around me. And they're just like, we love you. It's going to work out for you. And that was cool, right? Like here you are, you've been messing up for a long time and your parents and your family still loves you no matter what. And I think that's, that, 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 that gives you this opportunity to fly, right? It gives you this opportunity like, all right, man, you're just out here trying to do your best and your family's got your back no matter what. And it brought our family so close together. And ironically, man, the next thing that happened was COVID. Literally, I got fired right before COVID. And the next two years I've spent with my family, we moved to Mexico together kind of temporarily, but we're, we've been here basically 80% of the last two years. I got to know my dad so much better. My relationship with my mom is way better. My relationship with my sister is my best friend. So that little moment showed me that I'm going to be okay because my family's got me and they love me. Wow. What you're saying right now is you're speaking your truth, right? Well, you know this. You know this, especially like immigrant families, like as the oldest son, yes, they love you, but you're meant to perform, right? You're meant to be like, we brought you here so you could take care of us. So you could set us up. And that's never said, right? But that's the interpretation or that's what sits with you, right? You have, dude, we came from communism. You're the oldest. You have a big burden on your shoulders. And to know that, yeah, you still got that burden, but we love you even if you fail. That's a big deal. I, I wish that for all parents to give to their kids. Yeah. I, you know, you talk about parents and I, I, I'll say this, uh, like, I, I come from an immigrant family. I um, also immigrated when I was three years old to the States. What I get from, from, from what you said is, because I work with, with, uh, with kids as well, is the importance of that father figure, right? And my dad always made sure that, you know, no matter what, you know, you can always come back home. At, at 18, I left home for college. And I was like, I'm out of here. I'm, you know, I grew up in Miami. I'm out of here. But my dad, as sad as he probably was seeing me leave the house, he, you know, he, he understood, but he always said, you know, if you feel for whatever reason, you know, that you need to come back home, you're always welcome back here. And, 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 uh, the importance of having that father and that reassurance, man, uh, with everyone, right. For all kids that I see that grow up without a dad, uh, and, and we're kind of going on a tangent, but man, but I have to, uh, definitely validate what you're saying there. I think this is the most valuable stuff. You know what I mean? Like cards and all that stuff and success financially in business only comes when you have that support and security where I think it doesn't only come with that, but I think it, it will, it's like uh, gasoline on the fire. If you could add that to your life, if you have that foundation and you have that security, that like, that's a huge thing. Like, dude, no matter what, you could always come home. I think you could, you could do so much from that place. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, at that day, that day you got fired and then COVID kind of just caught everyone off guard in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I actually caught COVID then. So I got fired early November, 2019, caught COVID in December. It was terrible, by the way. I didn't know it was COVID. I just thought it was the flu. You know what I mean? This was before COVID hit. And then I started taking real estate classes. But then I was like, yo, I, I remember, I don't remember why I had this idea. Zion was injured. Ja was playing. But I remember watching Zion at Duke and I was like, I bought a Zion card and I was like, this is going to make me a millionaire. And I brought it home to my dad and I was like, you see this? Like, I'm going to start trading cards again. And he's like, you're an, you're an idiot. Why don't you just do one thing? You just started taking real estate classes. Now you want to trade cards. But I was like, no, I need your car. I'm going to the Westchester Valley Forge show in a week. I bought all of these Zion prisms, right, for 40 bucks off Mercari. Maybe I had, I think I had 10 base and I bought a silver because I, I was like, yeah, let me try this silver. And I went, drove up where Philly Westchester show in New York City. And I submitted them to PSA to get graded 
And then that was like my entry back into the hobby, 2020, January. What made you do that? Were you already kind of uh, hanging out on Instagram and kind of checking out uh, card collections? It was bubbling, but I don't know the exact reason. It was bubbling like when I got that job with Gary. The first day on the job, I brought him a Sam Darnold and a Joe Namath card as a token of my appreciation. So I bought those off, off eBay or Craigslist, I can't remember exactly, and I brought them as gifts. But I wasn't collecting cards and I wasn't thinking of it as a way to make money. Then, I don't know, I think intuition, like looking back, I don't know what it was. It was just like, yo, why don't you get back to flipping? That's what you did your whole life. Yeah. And, and like you said, the, you, you started noticing that it was bubbling, right? The, the prices started creeping up a little bit. I started putting money in my pocket in the next three months. I made, you know, nothing crazy, but like 10K because I... This was when PSA was grading on time. So I submitted them at the show. Why I went to the show was I learned that if you go to the show and hand them in in person, you might get your grades back faster because they're logged faster. So just like January 10th, I got my cards back like early March on a, on a, what was it? I think it was a 20 day sub. And I was like, whoa, like here's 10 cards. They all got PSA 10s. They all got PSA 10s. So this is like, this is like a five hundred dollar investment. I turned into six, seven thousand dollars, and it just it gave it gave me confidence. You know, it's funny because uh, my little side story. I was talking to a couple of collectors. You know, I, I collect mostly on the vintage side though, and then but they were telling me about how they were get, getting anything. They're getting all these base cards and sending them to PSA, and and the returns were insane. I was like, these guys are crazy. I was like, no way. Uh, you know, because I, I wasn't into that the, the, that game. And looking back on it, man, I, I missed on an opportunity there. But I was like, there's no way that uh, these base cards are going to suddenly, you know, 20, 30x just because they're PSA 10. And little did I know that I was completely wrong, like completely wrong. <laughs> I got fortunate because two things happened. I bought the right card and the player came back and did well. I don't know if people remember. They look at Zion now. His first, first four games back, he was a monster. I think in his first, first game versus the Spurs, he hit four threes. So not only did I buy the card at the right time, the, the raw card went from 50 to 200 in that time. And the PSA 10 became six, seven, eight hundred dollars $800. So I got fortunate. But, but I do a lot of research. Like I did watch a lot of college basketball. I did realize that Zion's injury was a meniscus tear, not an ACL tear. He would come back. They're just holding him out to be cautious. I thought he was going to take the, the league by storm. So I, I was right on that thesis. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just remember it happened overnight for me one night. I was, you know, uh, I was at the mall one one week and I was buying some packs from a, a vendor there, a local vendor. And, you know, and the, he was selling the packs for about 10, 15 bucks. I forgot. And, you know, maybe I hadn't seen him in a month. I come back a month later and he's selling these packs now for like 40, 50 bucks a pop. And I'm like, what happened? I mean, I was like, no way, dude. He's like, oh, yeah, it was bubbling. But then when it when it when that thing, you know, really took off, it took off. You know, I want to talk about how you got into creating uh lucas tigers and braun how did you uh meet up with cage the genesis for that create the creation of, of the podcast cool man uh so COVID hit march 2020 uh during this time so gary created gary, lou really created it but it was kind of gary and lou uh lou Janu from card talk great guy great team they created this like instagram group when all of the card stuff was bubbling not what it is now like it was just in, the, in its infancy. So he created this Instagram group with 30 collectors. And I was working for Gary at the time. And I asked Lou, can I be in it too? He, he put me in it. So it was just called, it's called the OG sports card family. Shout out to all you guys. If any of you listen, love that group. Uh, Rips is in it. 
Sasha Tomidon's in it, Slabstock's in it. It was like all of these guys before, you know. Yeah, big, the, the, these are big players right now. Yeah, <laughs> but like COVID, we were just like talking cards. Like cards were nothing at that point. And then uh, you started seeing the card boom and everyone was at home. We didn't know what was happening with COVID, right? It was like, you know, six weeks, you know, we're going to lock down all that stuff. So people were starting to create podcasts. And I was like, yo, like, let's create a podcast to someone in the group. Card Talk started theirs. And Cage was like, yo, let's do it. And I was like, I sent him a Zoom link. And the next day we recorded our pilot. And then after that, we recorded episode one. And then next day we recorded episode two. Ironically, we recorded episode one on my dad's birthday is kind of when we started. And then we just started doing it every single day. And it was like, it was just, um, I don't want to call it meeting your soulmate, but there was nothing inorganic about it. It just clicked, you know? Like from the first time we talked, I, I'm a Philadelphian. He's a New Yorker. There's never really a shortage of what we could say. We love to banter. And I think we complimented each other. You know what I mean? Like in boxing, they say styles make fights. I think in podcasting, it's kind of the same thing. And we just had a, a style that complemented each other. And then we got fortunate in two ways. We decided to do it every single day. And at first that felt ambitious, but, but it's the same as like exercise or anything. Like doing something every day, all you need to worry about is that day. You know what I mean? You don't have to look a million years in advance. So we just said, let's just do this every day. And the second thing was this was we, right before the boom of August 2020 when you know, you got the NBA back in the bumble. You had the Luka Doncic three-point winner against the Clippers. His cards went crazy. There was that boom. Bull, bull cards were going nuts. Uh, so we had so much to talk about, and we were doing the content every single day, and we just hit our stride. You hit your stride, yeah. Had you guys ever even spoken before you started recording the podcast? Never. Never, right? You guys were just communicating through... Through, you know, social media, right? And then when you guys started off, I mean, you you have talked about this before. Were you doing this as a hobby? Like, hey, let's just do a podcast. Or did you really, from the beginning, have something else in mind? Hobby. Hobby. I, I had a consulting job. I got this contract job with like a, it's called a SaaS company. They're like, we saw you work for Gary. We need you to do some similar stuff, a little bit of sales, a little brand development for the CEO. Would you want to come on? It was all remote. And I was like, yeah, sure. And they, they're paid pretty well. So it was just a side gig of like, but it was funny, the same things that we do for Team Gary, like the how the sausage is made, like people don't realize it's a whole team of 30 people that, you know, record his content, put the long form video on YouTube, cut it into little chunks for Instagram, TikTok, like the whole content model, which Gary gives her free on the internet, is what I learned to do with Gary. Then I got hired at, at this company to do it for the CEO and I was doing it for the podcast. So the timing of it was like, now you get to turn your practice into a craft. But we didn't even get paid with the podcast for, I think, six to 12 months. I never thought I would get paid for the podcast. Never. I was just fun. There's a couple of observations I made. And so I went back and I listened to your first episode. Your first idea, I think, initially was, you know, we're not going to take up too much of your time. We're going to take up 15 minutes of your time. We're going to give you some plays. Yep. <laughs> and that's that. No, no nonsense, no nothing, right? We haven't done a 15-minute episode since. And, and thank goodness for that. But the second thing was you guys were so like um, kind of polite to each other, right? Because you, you're kind of feeling each other out a little bit still, right? It's not like now where you guys are just going back and forth with each other. So you guys were just, oh, no, I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Whereas now it's like, come on, man. You know, I'm talking here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a thousand percent. Uh, you have to interrupt Cage, though, like, or, or else it's a monologue. It's what makes the show, man. Like, Because there have been some occasions where one of you couldn't make it for part of it or for all of it. 
And the show, it really isn't the same. And so I think that's the beauty of it. You know, it, it reminds me of, pardon the interruption, but like cooler. I don't know, or just just more 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 relatable. You know, let me put it that way. You know, where 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 pardon pardon the interruption was like Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser and these kind of these old crotchety guys going back and forth. And it was, it was it's entertaining. But you guys are you know you guys are are talking about relevant stuff, and obviously you guys are are more in tune with what's kind of happening, you know, with culture, pop culture, NFTs and all that stuff. Big praise to even be in in the same sentence as those guys, regardless of personality. Like personality is what it is. Like, you know, you're not going to be everyone's flavor of the week, but even getting to that level of you, you start to respect the game more than the personality, right? Because you know what it takes to go and show up and be yourself every day, no matter what happens in your personal life, right? Because life still goes on. A hundred percent. Once you see what the what the hustle's like, right? And what it's actually what actually goes into it, no matter whether you disagree or don't like the style, or whatever, you respect, like you said, the game. At what point did you guys realize that you were onto something? Like you said you guys didn't get paid for six, twelve months. What at what point were you guys like, you know, we're we're getting a pretty decent uh following here and 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 you know, you're building up your podcast, you're showing up every day. I mean, you are literally building the podcast by just by showing up every day. At what point did you guys realize you had hit a certain level? The lessons I learned from soccer helped me so much now. And the injury that I had, my, my, my career ending one, was because I got too big of a head. I started kind of thinking that I was above it. And I believe that's what led to the injury. So now I still don't think we've, we've accomplished anything or we've made it. And I, I just want to remain in the space of I'm a learner, I'm a beginner, and I'm going to stay humble. Because I know how easy it is to get to start thinking that you're bigger than you are. But I will say... The, in life, like you need evidence to believe, right? It, when you're starting something new, what's really difficult is you see it in your imagination, but there's no evidence, real life evidence to prove that you have succeeded in that. So you kind of almost like not have to fake it till you make it, but you have to go solely on belief. Starstock approached us in December. January really was when it was. We started the podcast July, January of 2021. Starstock approached us and uh, they said they want to sponsor the show. And that blew my mind because what they said was, we want to sponsor a show. We want you guys to do kind of like a once a week episode talking about the things that are happening on Starstock, the cards that are moving up, down. This is when Starstock wanted to be a raw card platform. And that was cool, man, because that was like, whoa, maybe we got something here. That was real life evidence to the belief. Yeah. I mean, you have a, you know, a sponsor. Yeah. I'm getting paid. To talk about sports. <laughs> what? Yeah. If I can say, and then you, so you guys have had Starstock and, and I know you've had a sponsorship with, with Dibs, HGA. Uh, you guys have a, a Sunday episode with Collectible. You've had a partnership with Whatnot and you guys just started off with SGC. So, you know, and I, I'm rattling that off, you know, just because, you know, again, this is, this isn't so much a story to me about sports cards. It's a story about building up a business and it's almost like you guys, did it, you got, you, not almost, you guys did it organically. Well, we, we promised our community and I stand by this. I said, we're never going to charge you for content, right? I, I don't like the pay for play model. It's not, not a big fan of it. Uh, so we said, we're never going to charge you for content. So we need to make money off sponsors, but you also don't really want to be like a sponsor kind of whore. What we did, I'll talk about HGA in a second, but with all of those sponsors, we're never like go use whatnot or go use Starstock or go use divs, what we did with them was try to kind of make them interactive. So with whatnot, we do a Sunday morning NFL show type of thing. So we go live every single Monday, 10 a.m. We sell slabs at the very end, but we give our plays and predictions and prop bets for the week for that day. So no one else is doing that, right? Some people go live on whatnot to sell slabs. 
we were like, no, let's do like a Sunday NFL countdown. But we talk about, you know, the games that we like, kind of like, you know, this look out for this player. Like this is a spread to take a look at. We talk about prop bets and then we auction off slabs. So we try to make our partnerships more interactive with collectible fractional. We're never like use collectible. They send us data and we go through like this card is overpriced. This card is underpriced. Josh Allen just lost. But, you know, we think that his gold might see a bump because of his performance and people expect what they expect for next season. So we've always wanted to do partnerships in a unique way where we're not shilling the company. We're just talking about things that are going on on the platform. And if people want to use it, they can. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that you guys did, and, and you took a little bit of heat for it, you know, from, from the outside looking in anyway, you guys launched an NFT project, yeah. right? You launched your, your Tiger NFTs. And, you know, as a listener, I thought it was great. And the reason I say that is because you guys have held true to your word about doing things for your community, right? And you guys stand by it and, and, and you practice it. But you almost you got a, a bit of a blowback on that. Like, you you know, almost like you guys should have, you guys are, are, are sports cards guys. Why are you going to crypto? Why are you doing this NFT stuff? You, you guys took some heat from that, even though you guys really explained what the purpose was for it. And even though at one point, and I thought you were kind of, you know, and I'm saying this politely, man. I was like, what is this dude doing? You were giving you were giving out your phone number on your podcast for anybody that had questions. I was like, holy moly, like this guy's going to get a thousand phone calls <laughs> or text messages. But you were willing to do that to get people onboarded into, you know, opening up a MetaMask wallet, buying ETH, right? And then transferring that over to your, your wallet. You know, you were working so hard. And then I could tell that at some moments, you got frustrated by the blowback that you got for, for going into crypto. <laughs> Life, right? Um What's the question there? Because all of that is 100% true. And I was getting frustrated. Dude, that's personal development because I should know that I'm going to get blowback when you do anything ambitious. The question was, you know, as you were building your brand, right? Like, did you feel like at any point in time, you weren't sure whether that was the right step to take, right? And I guess that's the first question. And the second question was, how do you deal with that negativity? Well, I always remind myself that I didn't do it to hurt anybody. Right. And I will make sure that I deliver on my promises. So the one thing, sometimes blowback is, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to have people talking bad about you, but it's way different if you did something wrong and people talk something bad about you versus if you took a chance and even if things don't work out, you're a man of your word, right? And you'll give back the money or you'll over deliver and all that stuff. So I reminded myself that nothing that we did with the NFT project was to hurt or rug pull or steal people's money. It was, yo, we're going to launch this NFT project because we believe in crypto and NFTs. Now, if you don't want to invest in the NFT, nothing changes. You don't need to have the NFT to listen to our episodes. You don't need the NFT to be in our discords or our Instagram chat or any of that stuff. We always have access to us and asking questions. So if you don't want to buy it, nothing changes for you. And if you do want to buy it and support us, that means the world. We don't know what we're going to do exactly 100%, but we're going to aim to over-deliver. And since that release, did the partnership with Dibs, which was one-month partnership because it, whatever reasons they had, we said, we don't do short-term. They're like, we only do one month. We said, fine. Because uh, one-month partnerships to me feel very transactional. Like they're just trying to get our community on their platform and then done. We said, fine, but here's what we're going to do. We're not going to take a penny of the money. We're going to give that 5,000 back as a reward to people who minted our tigers. And then the second thing we did is we reached a partnership with SGC and we said, 
would you be able to give back to our community? We think businesses have done really well. And I think people in the hobby are struggling. And they said, we'll do 50 free grading submissions every month. So everyone who owns an NFT gets preference and they get a portion of the 50 free grading submissions every month. And that's for 12 months. So since that, we launched it five months ago, that 50 grading submissions a month is 1500 bucks every month that we pour back into our community that doesn't go in our pockets. And then dibs was, you know, $5,000. We poured it back into the community. So, and that's money, but we also are going to do a cigar night at national. We're going to do all of these other things that we're still trying to figure out how, how the NFT world and the utility world works, but we try to give back as much as we can. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's why you have uh, a loyal following, you know, or a following that's, you know, that that's there for you guys. And, and because of what you guys do, we're coming up on the time. I, want, I have a couple more things. I know you mentioned about talking about HGA. Was, was that a, an important uh, point in the podcast that you want, you know, that uh, moment when you guys got that sponsorship? That blowback was way harder than the NFT one because I get the premise. We, like It's always like this fine line, right? You want to support new businesses, but you also don't want to lead your people to, to, to slaughter, right? When we met with HGA, it was like early April. This was when they were starting out in maybe April, May of last year, 2021. We wanted to give the little guy a chance. You know, PSA was closed. BGS was closed. We're like, we want to support a business and see if they see if we could help them grow. We didn't push our people to HGA, but we had the like a pre-roll post-roll. But that one got a lot of backlash. You know, why are you guys partnering with HGA? They're not a credible grading company. And I actually hear the people. I think that they have a lot of valid points. So navigating that, like making sure that we weren't sellouts, making sure that we weren't causing our community to lose money versus, hey, we, we're a business. We need to make money. This keeps the podcast free, all that stuff. Because that was our first kind of big partnerships. You know, collectible, all that was great that came later. That was our first big partnership, pre-roll, post-roll on our show. So that was an interesting one to navigate. But again, we didn't make any false promises. We didn't tell people you have to sub with HGA. We said, hey, this new company's out there. PSA and BGS is closed. Try them out. Don't send all your cards there. Don't send them the most valuable cards. But send five cards. See if you like the experience. See how the resell is. See if you like them for your collection. And if not, don't go again. And for a moment there, I feel like a lot of these other card grading services were filling in the gaps, you know, filling in the, the, the void that was left there by PSA. And, you know, HGA became a player for a while. I mean, they still are. But I know that, you know, there's other things. That's another that's another topic. Well, we cut ties with them mm-hmm. and took half the money we were getting paid with them for, to go with SGC because we felt that they were dropping the ball. So, like, it's, it's, it's super awkward, right? Like, as a new business owner, you, you learn this stuff, right? You know, your reputation's everything. And even if you leave money on the table short term, I believe that helps us long term. But still, that is money. So, like, we decided that, you know, it was better to leave that money off the table short term, take a step back, and not, not let it harm our reputation. Because there was a point in time where they were just dropping the ball and everything, you know. The times that they were promising to send cards back wasn't happening. They were grading cards that weren't authentic as authentic. All that stuff were like, dude, we can't we can't be associated with that. Yeah. And for you to come out and, and you know, be honest about that, that's pretty uh, remarkable. I will say that the, the SGC sponsorship has been met with, you know, a lot more positivity. That's a compliment to their business, though. They, they've done things very well. They deserve to be met with uh, applause because at the end of the day, we just want our cards back in a timely manner. For the price that we pay them at an affordable rate. Like we don't want all this like bells and whistles. We just want our cards back when you guys say you will send them back because we're paying for that. 
I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah. You, you a lot of times talk about the state of the, the sports card industry and there's a lot going right, you know, but you always kind of are like that, you know, you, you say, you know, what, what about these people that have had their cards tied up for a year, you know, or that still don't know where they are, or they've, they sent it to us. What do you call it? A, a sub, not a subgrader. Yeah. Group subber. A group subber, a group subber. I'm sorry. And this guy didn't pay it, pay them. So now their cards are, are stuck in limbo, right? You mentioned that a lot. And why that matters, sorry to cut you off, is that's the money that gets reinvested back into the hobby. So when your cards are sitting in a backlog somewhere, you're not getting those cards back. You're not selling them. You're not taking the money that you made from them and reinvesting. And that's what gets keeps this whole thing going. Not million-dollar sales. Those are great. But it's the little man who could take his cards, grade them, get them back, sell them on eBay, and take that profit and reinvest it. Yeah. Like you said, when that pipeline is, is cut or when somebody is affected that way, they can't do that anymore. Right. And it affects it affects it could potentially affect their livelihood or their 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 spot in the in the in the hobby for a while. Thousand percent. I want to go back so can we get into numbers as well? I just want to say, like, could you give me an idea of how big you guys have have gotten, like your your daily downloads and everything like that, just to kind of get, give people an idea of how many people are listening to you? Sure. I don't think it's that big. Like we we have 2,000, 3,000 listens a day on Spotify, Apple, maybe another 500 to 1,000 on YouTube. So let's call it three to 4,000 daily. Okay, I get it. We do a daily show and it's a little bit of a longer form too. So relative, but like the impulsive show, those guys get millions of views. So like it's always compared to what, right? Like I've never been a guy that likes to compare myself down. I always like to compare up. So I, I think we're just scratching the surface. That being said, Cage is really good at this because I'm a dreamer. He's a numbers guy. So he's like, we just crossed 400,000 listens all time. That's an impressive number. And he's like, we should be proud of that. You know, so sometimes it's okay to look around and smell the roses. But I think we're, we're puny. I think we're tiny. I think we have so much more room to grow and uh, opportunity to add value to people. I agree with both of you guys. That's kind of a testament to the work that you guys are doing. I want to take it back, man. And I say this with utmost respect. So, and I, I kind of want to get your insight because I was kind of shocked. It's okay. Push my buttons. It's okay. <laughs> I don't mind. I'm used to it. It's the immigrant family in us, right? I guess, yeah, that's that's kind of how it was. We push each other's buttons to see how we, how maybe how tough we were, you know? Mm-hmm. This might hurt a little bit. You described the role that Kobe played in your life. And I never liked Kobe as a, as a player. I wasn't I wasn't a Kobe guy. Let me put it that way. I respected the game. I just wasn't a Kobe guy. But I will say that I was shocked at how I felt when he passed away. Even talking about it, you know, now I get a little kind of, uh, you know, choked up. I don't, and I can't describe it. I, I don't know if it had something to do with his daughter being there too. I don't know. But uh, I was surprised at how it affected me. And, and I kind of want to talk to you about that. You know, you were a Kobe fan. You looked up to him that way. What was it about Kobe? Obviously, he's influenced you in your life. What are the lessons you've taken from him and how did you react to that loss? <laughs> well, the loss was tough, man. Believe it or not. So <laughs> I bought a, a Jordan Fleer card off Mercari the day, and the day it arrived. I don't know how it arrived. Maybe this, the day before. It, it ended up being a fake Jordan card. <sighs> and the day I got it, I didn't know it was a fake. I was so pumped. I went to the grocery store and my buddy texted me and said, dude, Kobe died. And I, I remember stopping. I was like, like, this isn't fucking funny. It's not a joke. And he's like, no, like I'm being serious. Um, and everything kind of went blank for a second. And I think it's because, dude, the guy lived like a perfect life in the sense of like he had everything. 
and to go down with your daughter like that, you kind of question your own mortality and you're like, wow, this is, this, it's not forever. And you start to kind of like, how am I, how am I living in this world? You know, you question a few things and in a good way. For me, Cope, I'm always able to separate the competitor from the person. I don't know why more people can't do that. I think that is a skill, like maybe because I'm a kind of a dickhead competitor. I talk so much when I play. I want to belittle you. I want you to feel terrible about yourself uh, when I play. And I thought he was kind of like that, you know. Uh, But then when you're off the court, it's done. You know, it's done. What happens on the field stays on the field was my motto for life. I never was upset with him or didn't like him because of the way he treated his teammates. He just demanded a lot from them. And if you don't agree with how he does it, that's great. But like, you've never been in that position. You've never won anything. So you don't know what it takes to win. Okay. But then he was also an incredible father, man. What made me really sad was his legacy was just beginning. He was going to be so much more than a basketball player. And um, that was really sad because he was doing like a tour. Uh, He did a lot of podcasts uh, after he retired. I mean, wrote Dear Basketball. Uh, he opened Granity Studios and they, you know, the Wizard Art series. There's a great, great, great podcast. When I was in Bali, I'd listened to it a lot. It's called The Punies. I don't know if you guys listen, but please go listen to it. It's one of the, it's really cool. It's like a Saturday morning children's cartoon type of thing. The Punies? The Punies. Really good. So he was, he loved storytelling. And you know what's cool? Like looking back, you know, we're in cards. A lot of us want to make money, right? Stocks, all that stuff. Kobe, if you go back, you'll never hear him talk about money. And I think it's because he's a true artist. He loved art and storytelling. And basketball was his first craft, but his second craft was storytelling and building what I thought would be like kind of the next Walt Disney. In terms of like developing a franchise? Yeah, storytelling and developing a franchise. Because in just three years, he had Dear Basketball, that like this short story. Then punies. Guys, I'm telling you, if you go listen to punies, especially with your kids, it teaches so many lessons about teamwork. I will never be able to recap it. But And then he did the Wizenard series, right? And the concept was there was no real books for athletes. There's no ways to teach the lessons to athletes, right? And you go and you read the things that he created in two, three years after retirement. You look at other people who've retired, you don't even hear from them again. Or, you know, someone retires, you know, two years, you know, they're fat, they're not doing anything. He literally, as soon as he retired, maybe took 30 days off, and then he was back at it, back at creating, right? And that's really what it is. He's a creator. He's an artist. And I love that about him. And I, I really was excited to see what he could accomplish and just to see it kind of, and he was a great coach and a great dad too. Or, or I mean, what do we know? I've never met him. So how, this is all at a distance. But that's what I mean. Uh, uh the way that he, you know, affected your influence, you should say, you didn't need to know him, right? You didn't need that. Like, uh, he, he influenced you. And then that's kind of his, his, his pull, like someone like that can influence you from a million miles away. That's pretty stunning that someone can have that kind of power and influence. And they must, there must be something about them to do that. Well, like, let's go to the Bible, right? And I don't want to get super religious because I'm, I grew up Jewish, but the Bible is a series of stories. Yeah. How do those influence us? thousands of years later the bible is really the first book or the first series of books if you kind of think about it how does that impact us man 100 percent. that's art right art stands the test of time another question i want to i want to ask you how do you feel about um about the card space right now and the future of the card space uh one of the wonderful things about the podcast that you guys have is there's always this back and forth right there's a tension and and i mean that a good tension where you're debating you know where are we at 
uh, and where are we going? And I'm kind of curious to see how you feel overall right now about it. I like to learn from smarter people who've been through cycles, you know, like Warren Buffett is the best at what he does because he's been through cycles. So he's seen this stuff and it doesn't surprise him. You know, he doesn't panic. We're in an interesting stage where it's kind of like this uh, middle ground where we don't know what's happening next and uncertainty is never good for investing, right? So we don't know what's going to happen with Panini. We don't know what Fanatics is going to do. We don't know up until a short period of time if PSA is going to reopen their company, right? Or when they're going to reopen or if there will be affordable grading. So there's all of this uncertainty. I also think the hobby, if you look at the demo of the people who participate in it, are very male dominant, very middle-aged male dominant. And that's a very cynical class of people for whatever reason. So they love to argue and berate and be mean to each other. And not everyone, but there are pockets of this where why would people want to join the hobby if that's the experience that they see? Versus if you go to the NFT world, you see a lot more positivity. There's still their issues, but there's a way more positivity. There's way more community. There's way more of like the wag me, we're all going to make it, right? Whereas in the hobby, it's more like, if I make it, you have to lose. And I, I never understood that mindset because I think if I eat, you could eat too. It's not this one pizza that, you know, everyone's taking the pieces from and eventually we're going to run out. It's how do we make the pizza pie bigger so that we could all eat more and more people could come in and eat. So I think the hobby needs to this is just my two cents. What do I know? You need to get to a place where they're not operating from scarcity mindset. They're operating from abundance in the sense that how do we grow the pie, not how do we take as much from the pie and leave someone else holding nothing. I don't like that culture. It's not going to help anyone grow. So like even the way we we treat influencers like, like Gary, there was a video, uh, a clip where he talked about how the card hobby pushed him out because anytime he posted a photo of his card, you know, he was getting so much of like, hey, pump and dump, pump and dump. And he's never sold a card. So like, why do you do that? Why are we so against influencers? I know that they don't, they aren't necessarily always good, but they have a tremendous amount of benefit, right? And you don't have to go and buy the card he took a picture of. He's bringing people to the hobby. He's introducing them to the space. The community he hangs with, if they want to deploy their money into this space, it's going to help everybody. Yeah, and there are a lot of people that give him credit, a large part of the credit for reviving uh, sports cards, you know, that he kind of brought that back and by saying, hey, look, this is what I'm investing in, this is what I'm buying, and that that kind of helped uh, kickstart the hobby again. So I want to end on this, uh, Andrew. Last question. I know you mentioned, and I I wrote it down, so I made sure I got back to it. You have another podcast, right? Uh, You said it's uh, No Overnight Success? Yeah. I haven't done a lot with it recently, so please don't be mad at me, people. <laughs> what is that? And um, how does that tie into like how you go about you know your business? Well, funny enough, like I started that podcast when I was working for Gary, right? Because I, I don't know. I think there was always a calling for me that one of my heroes, not so much like a Kobe hero that I described, someone I liked, someone I admired was uh, Larry King. And I didn't even get into this, but like I grew up behind a cafe and I... My dad owned a family business cafe and I would meet so many people, right? And I would talk to them and I always had an, a knack. I was like, I, I think I, I like doing that. Like I like that job, you know, having a microphone, interviewing people, learning from smart people. So no overnight success. I started when I was at Gary's because first off, I think his team is really, really intelligent. Uh, and there was a lot of people passing through and a lot of people, you know, I wanted to document that. I wanted to learn from those people because I think we often see like this whole 
oh my god look he's he's won and you hang like you could even let's use logan paul and jake paul you're like now they're winning but what got them there how did they get there because there's no overnight successes damon john you know how did he get to be on shark tank all of these amazing stories we see the finished product but we don't see the steps that it takes to get there i wanted to document those interviews but also document my life as i am going to be a success so i had the moments in my life where I wasn't successful and what I was feeling and all that stuff and interviews and conversations with, with people. And one of the great ones I did was this guy named Max Brown. He used to be the USC football quarterback. Again, he was the number one uh, prospect coming out of high school, going to USC and his career didn't go as planned. You know, he didn't make it to the NFL. His buddy Sam Darnold did. And Hearing his story, you know, how did he deal with the, you know, all of these expectations, right? Number one prospect in the country as a quarterback. And now, you know, you didn't make the NFL, you know, what, what does your family say? So that was one of the interviews I did. I just wanted to capture people's story uh, in audio form. And when I did the first interview, I was like, dude, I could be good at this. I like it. I like interviewing. I like talking to people. I like asking questions. I think I, I, I have the natural talent for it. And it just clicked. So it is pretty awesome. You know, when I, when we have guests on, on the podcast, Andrew, when I'm talking to you, just listening to people's stories, the stuff that they have to say, what they've been through, educating the listeners. Um, it is pretty awesome, man. So I, 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 I could definitely relate to that. And what you guys are doing also, you guys are your industry of sports cars, but you guys have a, a different way of going about it. And, uh, and that's why people are tuning in, man. So um, I'd, I'd like to just finish off by thanking you for your time, man. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And uh, really, really happy you could make it on, man. I could see why you guys have had success. You're, you're, you're really good at this, man. I'm, I'm not just saying that. Uh, I, and I appreciate you having me. It's, it's flattering. It's cool to kind of tell your story as well. I don't get a ton of opportunities to do that. So like, share your story, share your heart, share your trials, your tribulations, because you know, maybe my story could help someone. And, uh, you know, if anyone out there is listening and, you know, anything resonated, you could always message me. Uh, I am Andrew Goldberg on Instagram or uh, I am Andrew Goldberg at gmail.com. You could shoot me an email. I answer all my DMs, any questions about cards or anything like that. Even if I don't know the question, we have all these Instagram groups. Uh, you know, I could screenshot it, send it to someone they might know or Cage might know better too. So, yeah, I just, I just enjoy helping people. I've made a lot of mistakes, so I kind of want to help other people avoid those mistakes if possible and help them on their journey, make some connections, make some friends. Maybe uh, would, would love you guys to follow the show. Luca tiger, LeBron podcast, how we structure it. It's like, we kind of mirrored our thing with over uh, CNBC fast money. So we, we banter for, you know, half the episode. And then every, every day we'll give like, kind of like watch list, look at this card or check out this card, or have you heard about the story of this card? So, it's, it's kind of like that vibe. So you, you'll always get some value and hopefully a little entertainment and, and laughter. And if you like me, my co-host is 2X, the guy I am. Uh, I think he'd do great on your show. He's actually become a mentor of mine too, which is, you know, they don't always come as they appear. So very, very lucky I met Cage. He's, he's a good dude. And I get to see behind the scenes. He's an even better dad. You know, he has two kids, the way he interacts with them. Ian's been on the show a few times. Leah, his daughter, was the one that drew the tiger. So like, uh, we love our family and, and he's a, he's a great guy. Re really, really blessed. The dynamic you guys have is incredible. And, uh, you can tell that, you know, there's a mutual respect between the two guys, even, even in the, in the, the silliest part of the, the, the episodes, you know? Yeah. You guys caught lightning in a bottle there, you know? And, uh, that, that's good stuff.
Andrew, thank you for being here. Andrew is the co-host of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast, one of the top sports cards podcasts in, in the country right now. Thank you for being on, man. Thank you. We have Australian listeners too. We're, we're big in Australia. You know what? You're gonna get. You're gonna definitely get a, a Australian listeners on the podcast. Our co-founder Stefan is from Australia, and uh, I'm sure he's gonna be he's gonna be uh, repping out there. Love it. Love Aussies. Andrew, uh, ha- have a good night and, and thanks again. Appreciate you. After sitting down with Andrew, it's no wonder how the Lucas Tigers and Bronze podcast has developed a loyal following. I really appreciated Andrew's honesty and willingness to not pull any punches, and I left our conversation feeling better for it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. I say this every time. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. Until next time, take care.